1: Right here on SEN. Call Matt anytime. 1-300-01-1170 or text 0457-736-736.
0: Limber up, folks. Good morning to you. Welcome. Stretch it out. Let's get ready to rumble on this Friday morning, the last show for the week on December the 9th, it is. Thanks for joining us on SEN 1170 AM in Sydney. Of course, wherever you're tuning in on the SEN app, what would you like to talk about This morning, that's going to be the key. What's on your agenda this morning? You set the platform. This is your show. The next three hours, I'm going to hand it over to you. I'll get things moving with the weather and a couple of talking points as well. And then it's all yours. Forecast for Sydney, partly cloudy today, tops of 21 in the city and 23 in our west. The weekend, okay, 23 and cloudy tomorrow. And then sunny, 27 degrees on Sunday. The forecast for Adelaide, as we take a look ahead to day two of the test match, no dramas with the weather, uh, dramas everywhere else, but no dramas with the weather clear and 26 degrees. Our special guest this morning will be Football Australia CEO James Johnson. He'll join me. He's back home after the Socceroos run to the round of 16, of course, at the World Cup. So quite a few questions to pose to James, and mostly, obviously, they're positive off the back of what's been happening in the world of football for Australia, but a few things that are out there and are still hanging out there. What does it all mean for the game now? That's the big overview. What lessons do they take away from Qatar ahead of the Women's World Cup in our backyard in 2023? Is the Socceroos job Graham Arnold's again if he wants it? Now, we know that Arnie's on holidays at the moment. They'll do a review. They're not going to make a decision until next year, but they're not talking to anybody else until they talk to Graham Arnold whose value's risen, he's a much more attractive proposition than he was before. And that's not uh, any disrespect to Graham Arnold's coaching career or career before this one at the World Cup. But it's just the truth and fact. He'll be a wanted man. So what do they do there? How does football in this country capitalise on the cup success? Now, we've spoken about this at length. And one of the big things that kept coming up from you was it's too expensive. So we'll put that question this morning to James. What can the game do to make it cheaper to play? And whose role is that in determining where the dollars go and how much you have to cough up? James Johnson joining me this morning. Also, we'll do racing tips with Chrissy Nelson, cricket with Rob Quiney, which is a major talking point. So let's get to the scoreboard first from the Adelaide Oval. Day one, let's talk about what's happening on the field first because you know where we're going to head. Australia, three for 330 after day one. Absolutely rolled them yesterday. Manus Labashain, 120 not out. Now, let me give you some numbers. So far, this series, Labashain, this series, 204. 104 not out, now 120 not out. For a total of three trips to the crease, 428 runs. It's the second time in his career that he scored three centuries in three straight innings once he gets a roll on Marnus, he's very hard to stop he's now scored four centuries in his last three test matches one against sri lanka and the three currently against the west indies including the double ton so in those last three tests he scored more than 560 runs at an average of 188 the numbers are mind-blowing travis head 114 not out Fifth test century after falling on 99 over there in Perth. And he does it quickly too. 139 balls for his 114. So they'll go back out there today and there'll be runs aplenty still ahead of them. Davy Warner. Oh, it's seven and a half minutes after nine. And we managed to get all that way without mentioning that name. But this is David Warner on the field yesterday. Out for 21. He's averaging 24 in this series. And he's now gone 24 straight innings since his last century. Usman Khawaja, 62 yesterday. It's actually the first time in four years that he's been dismissed LBW. And then we get to Steve Smith, captain for this test. First ever test match duck at Adelaide Oval. Gone for a duck. First ever test match duck against the West Indies. And get this, yesterday, by not scoring a run against the West Indies, his average against them went from 239... Down to 179. Gee, how they fall quickly. (laughs) An average of only 179 against the West Indies. Extraordinary stuff. Three for 330. Now, to the elephant folks that's no longer in the room. The pin is out of the grenade. And Cricket Australia is scrambling for cover. In fact, it's more than out. It's in the air. It's live ammo. It's ready to land. David Warner pulls the pin first with that social media post that we discussed yesterday. Then his manager yesterday on Jimmy Smith's show, James Erskine, lobbed the grenade hard and high in the air. Don the helmet, head for the bunkers. Here it comes.
2: You'd have to be a blind black Labrador to not realise there was far more than three people involved in this thing. And, and, you know, they all got a caning and basically David Warner was, you know, completely villainized. Now that's and he has shut up. He's protected Cricket Australia. He's protected his uh, fellow players and whatever it might be on my advice, because at the end of the day, no one wanted to hear any more of it. And Mm. he's got on playing cricket. There's one thing in life I hate is injustice. We've all had it, you know, I mean, and this is injustice at its greatest
0: level. An extraordinary interview with Jimmy Smith yesterday right here on 1170 SEN, and it is now being played around the cricketing world, around the sporting world. It's been reported um, left, right, and centre, and those comments are starting to really stir up a hornet's nest. I've known James Erskine for a long time. He's a straight shooter. He's not going to mess around. And also, I'll tell you this, when they think they've been backed into a corner, they're going to blast their way out of it. This will not go down quietly. The question now is, where does it land? And what or who will be the collateral damage in all of this? Now, we're going to find out more this afternoon on SEN's Test Cricket coverage when Cricket Australia CEO Nick Hockley will be interviewed by Gerard Waitley. So make sure you're tuned in to that one. Our coverage starts at 1 o'clock today. For our Queensland listeners tuning in via the app, that's 12 o'clock your time so Nick Hockley will be in the chair alongside Jared Waitley in the commentary box at the Adelaide Oval also speaking to Jared, Australian Cricketers Association boss Todd Greenberg so we'll get another two uh, aspects to this story it's likely to be the next chapter in a story that won't go away now here's my opinion this is the beginning of the end of this whole saga so I reckon that we were sort of all sitting around going, you know what, this will finally blow up, it'll finally come to fruition when David Warner steps away from cricket in Australia. He retires, his job's done at the national level, the book comes out, etc., cetera, et cetera, and then all hell's going to break loose. I think all hell has broken loose. This is the beginning of the end, and like I say, the pins out of the grenade where it lands is the next part. So on that... On that, and off the back of the robust chat that we had yesterday, here's this for you, because this is your show. How do you want to handle this this morning? Now, plenty have had enough, right? Full stop. Just stop talking about it. It's driving me nuts, making my ears bleed. Yet so many still want to have a say. And these latest revelations will have massive ramifications. Huge. It's going to blow up, folks. I'm telling you, big time. So today, in that fact, we can't ignore it. So today, I'm going to open it up to you. Have you had enough? Do you want to have a say? What answer from Nick Hockley or Todd Greenberg or both today will make this go away for you? When will you be satisfied that it's done and dusted and we don't have to talk about it anymore? Or do you want to talk about something completely different today? I'm going to give you the platform. You set the agenda this morning. You know the number, one 1170 That's the number to call. So let's make it a Friday forum. Let's talk it out. Let's hug it out, folks. Person on the street stuff. Give me your opinion on this one. I want a wide range of options on anything and everything. So you know where we're going to start? I'm going to get some opinions of those sitting around the table right now because I guarantee you this is what's happening for sports lovers around the country. Getting into work put the coffee on the table, joining the Zoom call on the Microsoft Teams and sit down. And especially if you're a cricket fan or a sport lover, you'd you'd first up while you're waiting for the boss to start his waffle, go, hey, Tom, mate, what about those comments yesterday? Gibbo, morning to you, buddy. Good to have you at the desk as well. What about that stuff yesterday? What the heck's going on? Give me your thoughts.
1: G'day, Matty. G'day, Tommy. G'day, listeners. Uh, it was... Pretty explosive comments from Erskine yesterday, but I struggle, Maddie and Tommy, that Dave Warner has had this leadership ban cancelled. Sorry, not cancelled, but Steve Smith yesterday was able to captain. Now, he was the captain over there in South Africa, but he's gotten away scot-free. That doesn't sit very well with me. I feel like he's done his time, Dave Warner, and it is time for him to be back in a leadership role. Maybe... For the Big Bash, because the Big Bash has struggled the last couple of years. He put his hand up to captain the Sydney Thunder this year, and that's been turned down. It doesn't sit well with me. Tommy, what do you think?
3: Yeah, morning, Matty, Gibbo, and listeners. Matty, we spoke about this briefly on Tuesday. I can't see a scenario, and I might be speaking a bit brazenly here and a bit early, but I, I can't really see a scenario where David Warner plays test cricket for Australia in 2023. I mean, he is giving, giving, rightly or wrongly, Cricket Australia, Pat Cummins, George Bailey, the chairman of selectors, he's given them every single reason not to pick him. Team instability off the field, whereas everything is not talking about the cricket and his performances on the field. Another mid-performance yesterday against the West Indies, gone cheaply. We mentioned his averages against England and India overseas. The fact that he's 36... Um, and all this other stuff away from cricket on the field. I can't see a scenario where David Warner plays test cricket for Australia in 2023.
0: Well, he's got to start scoring runs. That's part of it as well. Got to start putting the runs on the board, and those runs haven't been there, And, and this series in particular, those runs haven't been there. So it's an interesting one, and this chat's going on. So this is what we want to invite this morning. Let's have a Friday forum about it. Let's join this table Gibbo, do me a favour, open the studio door there and as people come in and out of the office, let's drag them in, let's get their opinions on this because everyone is talking about it. As much as we don't want to or are sick of it, are you guys over it? Would you rather just like move on from Davey Warner and we can talk about Marnus and the, and the amount of runs that he scored or, or we can talk about the West Indies and how sometimes they look as though they're half asleep in the field not wanting to be there? Are you over it? I am a little bit over it, Matty, because cricket, like Australian cricket, has just been marred
3: by controversy the last four years. Ever since it's going to be five years in March, that the anniversary of this of what happened in Cape Town, and yet we've had the Justin Langer, the Tim Payne saga, and now the ongoing Cape Town saga, and then this whole David Warner thing. So part of me doesn't want to speak about it, but it's the dominant news story. So and we're a news sta- sports news station, so we have to speak about it. Um, but on, on the field, I want to speak, and we got a tax, text here from Gary. Hi, Matt. What's Marnus's average against the Windies? Well, Maddie, <laughs> I did some digging. Do you want to have a guess? Or, uh, uh, well, I know what it you is. You know it. Yeah. 428 <laughs> after three games. 428. So he's only had the two matches against the West Indies, which has been the last two games. Uh, yeah. 428. So I want to put out to you, Maddie, and the listeners and to Gibbo, um, can Marnus Labashang one day surpass the great Steve Smith? Now I'm not saying Steve Smith is bad. Got cheaply for a duck yesterday. That happens. But he also just scored 200 not out, uh, no, scored 200 against the West Indies in the first test. But Manus is in such complete control of his game. Jared Whaley, is called him the best pink ball cricketer in the world, and I think rightly so he is. Um, can Marnus one day be better or go one better than Steve Smith? That's what I want to talk about today.
0: On short answer field for cricket. me, yes. Short answer for me on that one is yes. In terms of the amount of runs that he gets and the way that he's that he's doing it, and Steve Smith, as we know, well, he's only 33 or whatever. He'll be 33 next year. Manus is, what, five years, four or five years younger than him, so time's on his side. Oh, and I think in terms of pure talent, etc., then, and the way that he goes about his business and the way that he constructs everything, yeah, he can. I'll tell you what, though. I reckon, honestly, this test team is going to look completely different very, very soon.
1: Yep. Boys, uh Maddie you said to open the studio door. Yeah. <clears throat> I just have and in walked an elephant. So the <laughs> elephant in the room here. <clears throat> the, the West Indies with... <laughs> The West <laughs> Indies cricket team, they have look, they looked they looked pretty average in the field yesterday. They were missed fields. I think they bowled seven different bowlers in twelve overs. Part time offies were coming on. They didn't look inspired. The crowds wasn't bad yesterday, but it wasn't great in Perth. The elephant in the room, Matty, is they are back here next summer playing three Test matches. The guys on SEN Test Cricket yesterday were talking about this. Ian Chappell wrote a great article in Crick Info. Well, great if you believe it. But he was talking about how not every Test cricket nation should be playing all the time. So when is it time for us to say, look, we'll stick to the big guns and the West Indies, they're not going to be taking the prime real estate in our Test summer. I know we deserve we, we need to make sure all these teams are going well, but at what stage do we start thinking we've gonna preserve our test summer and we play the best of the best
0: during the best time? That's a great Do we have a do we have a crowd figure from last night, Tommy? Yes, it from was twenty four and a half thousand. Twenty four and a half, yeah more than halfway there to what they got over five days over in Perth. Mm -hmm. I mean, you guys are too young to remember, but you've seen the vision and you know who we're talking about. But the days of the West Indies, the, the Calypso Kings, right? They were always this wonderful Caribbean swagger about them where they had their own time to do everything, but they never looked disinterested. That's the thing. They looked as though they had five, six seconds more time to get to a ball than anyone else, but they never looked disinterested as at some stages the West Indies have in this one. Did you see did you see Travis Head having a chat with Craig Brathwaite and he was asking him about the crowd and all that kind of stuff, which was yeah. good little banter, which was pretty cool. And then Mark War sitting in the commentary box for Fox and he goes, No way in the world would I have even thought about speaking to those guys when we were playing. They petrified the life out of him.
1: Yeah, the the difference probably would have been back in those days, Australia wouldn't have been absolutely destroying them like they were yesterday. But <laughs> yeah. yeah it's it's a strange one to see. I hope the West Indies can show a bit of fight today. They did in the first test with the bat, but it just I can't see where they're taking these wickets, Maddie and Tommy. Uh, it, the, yesterday, they struggled, and they struggled early. But look, another day's play later on.
3: I just think if you go down that route, which Gibbo is kind of nominating about how we need to be selective in what teams we do and we don't play now, I, I get that. But then we've already been speaking about how T20 and mainly T20 – is overriding test cricket. If that disparity just grows larger and larger, I think you're going to lose an audience. And we're talking about the schedule. If we s- play the same teams every summer, then I think it's going to get repetitive and it's going to get boring for some Aussie fans. So I think you need to keep it open. Playing West Indies two years in a row, I don't think is a great marketing idea from the Cricket Australia. I don't think it's a great idea. Anyway, but I think if you have that rotation, you still need to be able to play those teams every few years.
1: Tommy, boring, repetitive. I think boring, repetitive is watching a team get smoked. Australia usually brings out teams here which we destroy. Now, the best series that I can remember is when South Africa went toe-to-toe, India went toe-to-toe, England go toe-to-toe. I'm sort of just sick of Australia destroying all the opposition.
0: Righto. There you go. It's the Friday Forum. So it's one in and all in, folks. You pick up the phone, join this conversation. It's going to be this kind of combo for the next two and a half or two hours and 40 minutes now as we move towards 21 and a half minutes after nine o'clock. Let me know, are the Windies now the elephant in the room? Do you want to have your say about David Warner, Sick and tired of the whole thing? Do you think the whole thing's going to blow up again? What else should we talk about? Anything. Sport, outside of that. Whatever you want. It's your agenda today. one one 1170 is the open line or 0457-736. 736 is the text line. Come and join the Friday Forum. Yeah, it's the open forum this Friday morning. So jump on board, have your say. Tommy's with me. Gibbo's in the chair today. Uh, Basically, anybody who wanders past the studio, we're going to grab them by the scruff of the neck, drag them on in and get their opinion uh, on anything in fact. Uh, Brett's got an opinion on Marnus Labashain. He says uh, Marnus is already better than Steve Smith, the greatest player's bat number three, not down the order, says Brett. Thank you for that. Dan says, then we'll never play New Zealand. Why don't we play New Zealand every year in tests, three test Anzac series every year? That's not a bad shout out. I mean, you know, could you could you replicate now what's, what's going to happen, Gibbo, is that everyone's looking over to what happened in Royal Pindy and going, we want a piece of that. That's, <laughs> that's what's going to happen. You go, well, how do you make that magic happen? How do we bottle that kind of test where 1,700 runs were scored? It came down to the last minute as the sun was setting in Royal Pindi, and away we go. We've got this magic outcome. So I think everyone wants a piece of that now. That's, that's kind of the way that people want test cricket to go.
1: Absolutely. And I think uh, Brendan McCullum, he was a big part of the black cap side that changed their mindset into aggressive cricket. He's now baz gone ball. over to England, basball and done that. Oh, that was the perfect advertisement for test cricket on a boring flat pitch. Uh, we'll get our chance, I'm sure, when we go overseas. But oh, we need to bottle that, Matty, and we need to put it here. We got the day-night test, which is a cracking advertisement for test cricket. That's probably why the test, the crowds were so big last night. But look, there's just so much more to come, I suppose.
0: Yeah, a big, I'll put big in, in inverted commas though, because I think uh, Adelaide Oval holds a lot more than just the 20 odd thousand that were there. 0457 736 736. Is that the maestro wandering through the studio? Maestro's in, in there in business mode. I mean, you, I'm telling you, mate, anyone who walks past, grab them. Let's get their opinion. It's the open forum. Next time you go and pass, Maestro, we're going to get you. Morning, Matt. Talking about the World Cup, which EPL clubs do you consider might have Harry Souter now with Stoke City on their radar come the January transfer window? Would it be the likes of Manchester City or United, Chelsea and Arsenal? Or would it be another club, for example, uh, Newcastle United or Aston Villa? That one from Mel in Brisbane. Wouldn't have a clue. Uh, That's out of my realm of expertise or even thought process. Um, The only thing I would know about Big Harry is that he's a wanted man. Man, would he be wanted now, whatever is next? And so too with Graham Arnold. Don't forget, James Johnson, Football Australia CEO, will be our special guest this morning. Come and join the open forum this morning, 1300 01 1170. Just pick up the phone, dive in on the conversation. You can be as short as you want, or you can string it out as long as you want. We're open for everything this morning. Here's the news. Thank you, April. Rob Quiney's going to join me very soon, but one one 1170 is the open line number. We're going open forum this morning. Have your say on absolutely anything. If you've had enough of Davey Warner, let me know. If you want to keep it going... Let me know that too. If you want to talk about something completely different, up for that as well. John is on the line, so you can go first this half hour. John, good morning to you. What would you like to say on the forum this morning? Oh, hi. You got me there? Yep, loud and clear. John, go for it.
4: Yeah, I, yeah look, um, I just... Um, I, with the with the water incident, um, with the statements made from James Erskine yesterday, um, I mean, the parts that you've played this morning, I... I don't know uh, the most explosive parts. The most explosive parts were the statements saying that there were two executives in the room. Um, the players were all there, and um, they were given the go-ahead. Um, I'm just wondering. And the other thing that concerns me is if James Erskine is Warner's manager. If he was my manager and I'm in that side, and he he must have he must have talked to Warner about. Well, you would hope that he would have talked to him about the fact that he was going to come out with such explosive things, because he'd be sitting in a change room with a whole lot of players looking at him, going, um, "Hang on, what's going on here?" Oh, it'd be really good if you could play those parts of the yeah. um, of the interview yesterday, because they yeah. are the parts that are the most explosive.
0: Yeah, for sure, and, and for sure, and that that league, they've where's been. That
4: league, where's that lead? Where's that lead, Warner? And, and the teammates, who obviously... Erskine and yesterday basically said they're all in on it. They've all got to be looking across. How, how, why would you put yourself in that position at the moment, if it's true, by all means? If that's going to come out at some mm. stage, but to do it while you're under pressure and not scoring runs... I mean, Ivor, he's, he's really, really you know stubborn and pig-headed and wanting to get it out there. or or James Erskine has come out without the permission of of Warner to make the statements that he made yesterday.
0: I guarantee you that David Warner knew those statements were coming, mate. I'll guarantee you one thing, that James Erskine knows exactly what he's doing in this. And I'll guarantee you something else. It's not the end of it, John. There'll be more to come, 100%. I'll explain on that a little bit later, but we will play those uh, other comments for you as well. Obviously, they're getting maximum airtime right here on SEN. But if you want to hear it, we'll certainly play those. And the the conversations that James Erskine's referencing around the executives in the room, people need to be very clear that what he was referencing there was after the Hobart test in 2016. What happened with Sandpaper was in Newlands in 2018. So we'll play those for you. and You can make up your own mind off it. But I appreciate the call, John, and we'll certainly get to that part um, which has been played Plenty of times in the world of cricket. Now, I did point out what's been happening on the field and Australia in total uh, total control as we head to day two or day night two of the Adelaide Test. Rob Quiney is on the line, part of the SEN Cricket Commentary Team on an explosive day of cricket, Rob. Mate, let's get the old elephant in the room straight away so you can have your say on what what do you reckon's unfolded Uh, in terms of these comments and the reaction and more i reckon from your point mate and thanks for joining us is how do you think that all this stuff is affecting the team in the dressing room the unit together
5: yeah hey maddie uh thanks for having me and yeah you're spot on it was a it was a great day's play yesterday for the australians and you know touching on what you said the elephant in the room um i'm pretty confident you know there's elements that the 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 last caller john touched on that you know this this wouldn't have come about just off a the cuff. There's some strategy and plan behind it. I'm pretty confident Davey would have had discussions, you know, behind closed doors. But they're the kind of stuff that we don't know. And ultimately, in this whole situation, it, it, it sounds like there's a lot of information that none of us are privy to right now. Um, and I think a lot of us are probably thinking that when Dave finishes playing for Australia, that you know that there might be a situation where he could open up a little bit more. But what's happened is through this process of you know, overturning this leadership ban. It's probably come to light a little bit earlier than originally planned from Dave and um, and his management. So, yeah, it's, it's a shame. But I'm sure that um, in terms of Dave and his plans, he, he knew that this was going to rear its head through this process. It's a shame that it's got to this. Um, and it's a shame even so that, you know, Dave Dave probably doesn't need this when, you know, he hasn't made 100 in two or three years playing for mm-hmm. Australia as well. So um, I'm sure he just wants to go out there. You know, we know how good a batter he is. Um, and go out and get some runs. So hopefully, for the Australian team's sake and, and the Australian public's sake, that this can sort of be kept a little bit behind closed doors, ongoing. And then if it comes out down the, down the track, then so be it.
0: Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see what happens over the next 24 hours. Nick Hockley will be speaking to Jared Waitley, of course, uh, in the Adelaide Oval cricket commentary box today for SEN. So we'll wait and see what unfolds out of that. I. I'm of the opinion, Rob, um whether I'm right or wrong I don't know, but I'm of the opinion that this is gonna blow up deluxe. I, I think this is this is hit fast forward right now for a number of reasons and I think however we thought it was going to end in a couple of years time, for instance, or post career, I actually reckon it's gonna it's gonna fast forward to that detonation however that happens over the next probably two or three days, if not Um, by the end of this test, but we'll wait and see. So let's talk about the conditions out there at the Adelaide Oval. And I I went through the facts and the figures and Marnus' incredible runs and Travis Head um, getting amongst the runs as well, Steve Smith getting his first ever test match duck at the Adelaide Oval. But I reckon probably the biggest discussion is around our opposition at the moment. Are you seeing an opposition? We know that they've been outclassed on this one um, and they're a fair way off matching Australia. Are you seeing an opposition that really wants to be here or are they just trying to make their way against the best test team in the world?
5: I think I think we always come to that conclusion, don't we, Matty, that it looks like they're not trying enough or that they look a bit laid back and they don't have the energy that we come to expect from the Aussie side. But um, I think there's talent there. But I think the the landscape of, of the politics behind West Indies cricket and what's going on there and we only need to look at the World Cup squads that... Now, one, you know, it was at, um, I think there was a couple of players who were who were left out of the party. One guy didn't even rock up to the airport. So there's there's a lot of stuff going behind the scenes that we we're not privy to at the moment, and it's a shame because they actually have some really talented cricketers. And what we're seeing in this Test match is, you know, that they've lost three three bowlers and one extremely senior bowler, um, and then a, a debutant comes in and, and injures himself after a couple of overs because he's been on the plane. He just arrived only two days ago. So um, it's bloody tough and. You know, externally, you'd like to see them look like they're, they're having a crack, but they might be. We don't know. And But there's a lot going on. I mean, this is Phil Simmons' last last game as, as coach, and I'm sure he's banged his head against the wall at times to try and get more out of the players. But, um, yeah, it's a shame because, you know, it's built up. You had Michael Holding on all the ads. They all love cricket, and, and you know, we always think back to the Brian Larras and, and Viv Richards and Richie Richardsons, but um, few and far between now, unfortunately.
0: Yeah, how far can Manus go today, do you reckon? Can he can he get another double? I mean, he said he's three centuries, including that 204 to kick it off. Three in a row. He scored 428 runs in this series alone, and he's not done yet.
5: I hope he does, Natty. Like, he's been so good to watch, and, um, you know, the time he takes it, he, he could have walked out the bat yesterday and thinking, I'm still on 300, you know, from that last test. And he's gone out there and just started his innings. He was quite slow. And then to be able to score like he did through the... You know, that, that night period when the ball was swinging around a little bit um, is a massive credit to him and, and how much he really wants it. And it probably goes to your point before, Maddie, about, you know, how much someone like Marnus wants it versus how much some of the West Indies might might want it. Um, so, there's a good good comparison there. But I hope for, for his sake and the Australian team's sake, I mean, they, they did touch on that they're going to try and drive it into the West Indies in a big day today to set up quite similarly to the Perth Test. Um, so, hopefully some big runs from him. And, and Travis Head, sometimes... When you got someone like Marnus going, people forget about Travis Head, who you know fell on 99 last game, had yeah. more than a run of ball, and he was, was a lot slower this time. And he did it off 120 balls, like he's a machine <laughs> at the moment. Like his, his ability to score at a good rate without taking these huge risks is phenomenal. And and yes, he probably got fed some balls in his in his wheelhouse. He loves the offside, the you know the cut shots and the square slashes. But one thing I noticed yesterday was. His ability to hit straighter, particularly when he brought up his 100.
0: Yeah, particularly when he brought up his 100. Talk about leaving his hanging mate, but particularly when he brought up his 100. I mean, he's spot on because I was watching that as well and listening to the commentary there. I mean, Travis Head is is quickly and rapidly right in front of our eyes evolving as this uh, incredible batsman who can piece together an in innings on all sides of the pitch, 114 not out. So Rob's dropped out, but a good chat, and we wish him well today on day two of commentary oh four five seven seven three six seven three six is the text line 1300 01 11 our Friday forum come and join the discussion folks and I will play you those uh, excerpts from James Erskine's interview with Jimmy Smith yesterday that John our caller was referring to after this it is the Friday forum this morning now the reason behind this is well a this is your show so pick up the phone you go for it we hand it over to you B. We've been having a discussion this entire week, especially the last couple of days, of whether or not we're over the David Warner situation, had enough full stop, stop talking about it, or B, we want to keep going because everything that's now happening in the last twenty four hours since Jimmy Smith had James Erskine, who's David Warner's manager, on air, has fueled more fire. Nick Hockley, by the way, will be joining Jared Waitley today on the SEN Test cricket coverage which begins at 1 o'clock Eastern Daylight Saving Time, so 12 o'clock for our Queensland listeners. So Nick Hockley, the CEO of Cricket Australia, no doubt about it, they're under fire. He'll be in the chair alongside Jared Waitley. Todd Greenberg, who is the boss of the Australian Cricketers Association, will also be there as well, not to mention ball-by-ball coverage of day two of the test. Talk about dominating the headlines. Uh, I'm not sure the cricket tried to do that, but, boy, are they succeeding in that at the moment. Matty, here's a prediction, says Matt. Warner will retire from international cricket very, very soon. Before he goes, however, the truth will get out there. He's been the scapegoat for too long. Good on him, says Matt. Well, Matt, I actually agree with you. I agree that he's going to retire from international cricket very, very soon. I don't know, but I take a a look at what's been happening. I take a look at, remember when he... Scored some runs uh, not too long ago and jumped in the air and gave a big FU towards the stands. Then he pulls the pin on the social media post. Then they back it up with James Erskine's massive comments yesterday. I mean, seriously, this is escalating at a rapid knot. So I think the end game's getting closer and closer and faster and faster than we thought it was going to be. That's just a view from looking in. The Tathra Eagle says, Matty, sorry, mate, the Dave Warner's more pop gun than hand grenade. He's at the end of his career. There are at least four captains in the team ahead of him, and he directed a young teammate to shove sandpaper down his Dax and cheat. Move on, Matty, thanks for the open forum. Uh, thank you for that, Tathra Eagle. That's what it's all about, the open forum. Now, John, um, when he was on the phone, said, Can we play the part of Jimmy's uh, interview where. James Erskine speaks about the executives from Cricket Australia in the dressing room after the Hobart test. This has got to be pointed out, the Hobart test in 2016. Here we go. Yeah, there's two
2: cricketers who said at the time, put their put the hands up, said, why don't we all just tell the truth? They can't fire all of us. That's what's that's what happened. Yeah. Two senior executives you know, were in the changing room in, in, in um, Hobart and basically with berating. rating the team for losing against South Africa, and Warner said that we've got to reverse swing the ball. and The only way we can reverse swing the ball is basically um, uh, by tampering with it. So they were told to do it.
0: So they were told to do it, as in told to tamper with the ball or told to get reverse swing. Don't know. You can start to argue the semantics around that. And the other part of that is you've actually got to draw a line through two parts of that sentence from James. One where he says there were two cricketers there saying, well, let's put our hand up. They can't fire all of us. That was obviously after 2018. Obviously. And then the two executive parts was after 2016. It all rolled into one, into what he was saying. But John's right. That's the explosive part there. And that's what people believe me. Those journos out there from the newspaper, they are digging around to find out who those two executives are. And I've seen some names bubble along already, but certainly we can't go and say those publicly or put them on air defamation wise until it's become fact, until we know. But the other part is if their cricketers saying they can't fire all of us, wow. There's a little bit more to unravel on that. Now, another text says Maddie, I think Ian Healy pretty much confirmed this morning what was said yesterday in regards to the post-Hobart test. So let's have a listen to Heels this morning on Paddy and Heels in, uh, in Queensland.
2: Burn. I went into the dressing room that day. Mark Taylor and I went from our commentary box in Hobart to the dressing room to support the boys because they'd had a, a real failure against South Africa, and that's where five players uh, were chopped. Yeah. Um, so we went in that day. They were spoken to by un- unnamed people mm. and said, we don't pay you, we don't pay you to uh, do anything but win. And that's the attitude that came out, which wasn't good.
0: Okay, so that's a little bit different. Thank you for that text. But that's a bit different to uh, Ian Healy saying that he was there when apparently they were told to do whatever they could to make the ball reverse swing off the back of that so that was a different conversation or a different part of that conversation you you, we pay you to win I mean of course executives are going to say that aren't they I don't know what the execs were doing in the room I mean I'm more than happy if I'm an Australian cricketer for Ian Healy and Mark Taylor to come in in fact I'd be the first to open the door but when it comes to executives walking into the room there ain't a good history with that in the world of sport maybe they've got a right to say yeah we pay you to win maybe that's what they were trying to rev up the team about or they'd had enough of the insipid performances that the Aussies were putting in at the time. But that's a little bit different to the conversation that James Erskine is alleging has taken place. So we're trying to work our way through that one. 0457 736 736 is the open line number. Join the forum this morning in terms of the World Cup. Well, of course, we're into quarterfinals tomorrow morning. You're going to get up. Croatia v. Brazil, uh, 2 a.m. start, then Netherlands v. Argentina. And then Sunday morning, Morocco v. Portugal, England v. France. Brazil, $2.75 favourites to win the Cup. Morocco and Croatia, the big outsiders, at $36. It's six and a half minutes to ten. Are we having fun this morning, folks? Are we going okay on this Friday morning? It's a Friday forum, and what we've done is opened up the entire studio to you. So you know the number, Gibbo's here, Tommy's here, we've had our say around the Davy Warner aspect and there's more to come obviously on that day two ahead of us and in our next hour coming up very soon in fact James Johnson who is the CEO of Football Australia will be joining me on this program so my special guest this morning, the boss of Football Australia, how do they make everything work now off the back of the Socceroos, great run into the round of 16, I mean if you're the boss of Football Australia and you look around and see those live sites just jam-packed with people, you've got to be thinking, this is our moment to shine. This is our moment to grab with both hands. That's exactly what they're thinking. The question is, how are they going to make that happen and what happens next for the game in this country? So that's coming up. And, of course, your calls, 1300 1170 It's the Friday Forum. Nothing is off limits. Welcome back to the program, to our listeners on SEN 1170 AM Sydney via the app, and welcome to you joining us on SENQ 693 in Brizzy and 1620 AM on the Gold Coast for the next couple of hours on the show. It's the Friday Forum this morning, so we've opened up the lines. We've had a roundtable discussion. Uh, 2 AM Tommy's here, Gibbo's on the panel this morning as well, and we're trying to just get our head around what people are saying and what you're thinking especially around the David Warner issue. If you had enough, do you want to have a say? What answer will make this go away for you? Do you reckon we're going to get an answer coming up later on this afternoon? So 12 o'clock local time for our Queensland listeners, one o'clock for those in New South Wales. Nick Hockley, the CEO of Cricket Australia, will join Jared Waitley as part of our test commentary team. And uh, there will be a very frank and forthright interview I'd suggest between Jared and Nick Hockley and also Todd Greenberg as well. Or do you just want to talk about something completely different? Happy for that as well. Let me tell you again that most of the texts on the line um, lean us towards David Warner, although a couple have said it, you could talk about the new doco, the drop last night, Gibbo you were, you would have been all over this, wouldn't you? Harry and Megan? Did you watch that? I mean, did you switch over to watch that from the cricket last night?
1: Oh, I didn't actually see it, Matty, but it's on my – I've got a little list that I like to do every day. It's on my yeah. list for when I get home tonight. So I've got about a half-an-hour window, so I'll try and squeeze it in, Matty, before the cricket starts at Sabo.
0: Okay, uh We we caught it last night, caught episode one. It's all right. Yeah. It's fine. Yeah. yeah. All If you're into that stuff, yeah, three or four, probably more to come on that one. I don't think it's explosive, as explosive as James Erskine was yesterday and (laughs) is more than likely going to be continuing um, because it's my opinion that there's more to come here. Matt from Coffs, it's nice to hear from you this morning, Matt. Look, we wanted to go open forum this morning because I think we all got ourselves tied in knots yesterday. Let's be honest. We sit here and talk about sport and have got all argy-bargy yesterday, but he says, telling people to switch off SEN yesterday and today you're saying open forum, etc. all texts and opinions welcome, you've lost the plot, says Matt. Every day I say all texts and opinions are welcome, Matt. Every day I've probably lost the plot. You're probably right about that. But yesterday, I think it was, and I'd lose track of those days, but you say it was yesterday. Yesterday I said to you, if you don't like... Uh, my tone, if you don't like my emotion and if you're thinking that I'm in this to be sensationalist then I said that you've got an option I was telling you if you want to switch off go for your life but you're still there and I thank you for that and have your say mate pick up the phone if you want to have a blast on the phone go for it, nothing's off limits this morning so the rules of engagement remain exactly the same here as we did when we first came on air more than two years ago, jump on board No agendas here, folks. We're not going to get everything right, but it's a lot of fun along the way. And these aren't, you know, life-defining issues. We're talking about sport, but they're big issues in the world of sport. And they are big news, and we're a sports network. We do not apologise for that at all. And we don't apologise for following sports stories to the end. And let me tell you, from my experience in this game, for more than three decades, this is the start of the end of this massive story that first bubbled up in 2018 and has been going ever since. It's about to go ballistic, folks. So hold on for the ride. Now, let's talk football this morning. You can keep those conversations going. Um, Obviously, the quarterfinals of the World Cup now get underway tomorrow morning. I ran through the lineup a little bit earlier, but you all know the drill. There's eight teams left. But the big question for us is, what next for Australian football? Off the back of the Socceroos' incredible run, joining us is Football Australia CEO James Johnson. Good morning, James. Welcome to the program.
6: Good morning, Matty. How
0: are you? I'm good. How are you? How are you after that roller coaster adventure that you've been on? Finally back
6: home in Sydney. Gee, it
0: must have been one extraordinary ride.
6: Uh, I'm just, I'm very excited. It was an amazing campaign, uh, both on the pitch but also off the pitch, particularly given the level of support that uh, the team and the delegation had in Qatar by the Australian football community was really phenomenal.
0: Now that the dust is settling, obviously the World Cup continues, James, and you'll be um, tapping in from afar. What's your overriding message of takeaway, do you think, for Australian football off the back of the Socceroos' success?
6: Well, the Socceroos have now qualified for five consecutive uh, World Cups. Uh, This campaign was the most successful campaign Uh, we've ever had Um, we're hosting a women's world cup in uh, seven or eight months Um, so the message is this is a golden era uh, for Australian football and every football fan and sports fan um, I hope uh, support the game through this period because it's, uh, it's going to be super exciting how aware
0: were you while you were over there watching this unfold of the support back home for the
6: Socceroos Oh, we were very aware uh, as it was all unfolding. Um, it's amazing uh, how much the executives, how much the coaches and how much the players um, are, are connected through social medias uh, in particular. Um, so it, we could feel the support over there and it was a fantastic feeling and I think that helped the, the level of performance that the team uh, had.
0: What about the road to the World Cup itself? How much do you think that instilled such resilience in this team when they got there? Just four of those 20 qualifying matches were played on Australian shores. COVID came into the mix. I mean, it was a rough road to get there.
6: It was. It was was the most successful campaign, but also the most complex. Um, And it was complex, of course, due to COVID. And every other team um, did have a level of complexity with their own... Uh, qualifying campaigns but I think for us um, what was uh, more complex was the fact that Australia had its borders closed for most of that period and many of our matches were actually played outside of Australia um, that were supposed to be at home so I think that brought a level um, of togetherness both as the organization but also um, for the players and the teams themselves and I think when the going got tough uh, in, in, in in Qatar I think the team could stand up because of that complex process they'd all been through.
0: And the FIFA World Cup itself in Qatar was always going to be complex given where it is. And and let's be honest about that. You guys got on the front foot with this and we've spoken at length on my program about how the Socceroos... It was a bold move to release that video and obviously you would have known that there could have been some blowback there. So can you take me through the steps around that and how Football Australia decided to go ahead with that and probably in the face of knowing that there could have been some sort of fallout?
6: Yeah, look, we, we, uh, we spent about a year prior to the World Cup um, educating uh, ourselves. We spoke with um, many different stakeholders on, on both sides of this this debate. Um, we, we, we spoke uh, a lot to our players and really tried to understand uh, what was important to the players themselves. And what we wanted to do at the end of the day is, 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 is have a statement um, from both the players and the organisations, uh, organisation that had uh, good alignment, but we also wanted to juggle um, the, the the balance between making a statement that the organisation and the players felt good about, um, but also allowing the players to focus on football. So um, we agreed with the players that a statement would go out uh, around about four weeks before the tournament started. Uh, and then after that, it was it was it was business. It was football, and they got focused. And I think um, that helped the team because they went out early, uh, and I think they were seen as leaders socially at the World Cup, and then other countries and other teams followed. But also allowed the team to to really focus on on the pitch and their performance on the pitch. And I think uh, and I think they did, and and, and they did a fantastic job
0: yeah I think it was a brave move and it was a very smart move as well from from your desk as ceo of the organization did you did you think it might have been a risky
6: move yeah look, there's there's always risk um, but you know risk just needs to be managed so we 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 did um what we could and uh, we we had the meetings that we needed to to have um both before the statement went out and after and and really our job is to ensure that the players were um, supported, they were protected, and ultimately they could focus on their training and their preparation and, and their playing. So, um, yeah, that was that was the, the the process we went through.
0: So, James, obviously, when you came back to Sydney and came back to Australia, you would have known that. A lot of people now want to know what's next for both Football Australia and, in particular, for the Socceroos and, obviously, Graham Arnold. So let's attack that on three fronts. Let's start with your coach. He's having a holiday well-deserved. When do you think that you will get a a chance to speak to him and how do you think that process takes place? It's obviously all part of the review that you'll do.
6: Yeah, so we're finishing off the the review of the the four-year cycle that's just concluded and we're starting our... Planning for the next uh, four-year cycle, which I want to stress is they're very different cycles. So we're going into the 2026 uh, World Cup. There'll be more teams. There's 48 teams going to the 26 World Cup, whereas there was only 32 that went to Qatar. Um, so that's a big change. Um, so there'll be. Um, we need to think about it uh, in, in in these terms. Um, the appointing the head coach is is the starting point. Um, We know Graham is is off contract. You know that. Um, We are in touch with Graham. I speak with Graham regularly. Um, He does need a holiday. He needs to recharge because it's been a very complex complex, uh, campaign. Um, So we'll we'll talk with him. He'll talk with us. Um, We're not going to rush the decision. There's no need to because the team uh, doesn't play again until March. And and in March, it's a friendly window anyway. Um, So we just want to get that decision right, not rush anyone, uh, do the right planning. Talk to Arnie. We won't be talking to to others or going to market in the meantime. Um, and once Arnie's back from his holiday uh, in early January, and once we've completed our review around about the same time, um, then we'll have um, some 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 meetings about uh, what's next with with Graham, and we'll put our view on the table, and 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 Graham will as well, and let's see where we land.
0: So, understandably, there's a, there's that process to go through, and the and time is essentially on your side in that one. When you say not going to market, does that mean that it's Graham's job if he wants it?
6: Well, we've got to agree terms, right? Like things are different now to what they were four years ago. So Graham's value has gone up, but so too has the Socceroos. You know, he's a very attractive coach and we're a a very attractive uh, employer. Um, given uh, who who the soccerers are, the brand strength, the golden era that the football is in, and also the easier qualification um, process. So we've just got to make sure that, um, uh, you know, we we, we would structure an agreement that is is fit for this time that might look different to to what it was four years ago. And ultimately, Graham's got to be happy, and so do we. So, um, you know, I think some stability for this team uh, would be a good thing, but, you know, that's going to play out Uh, in a negotiation that we'll have
0: with Graham so what's next for the Socceroos then well we have to wait until like you say you know the, the next window that we get and that opportunity arises in March what is next for the game we had a very solid debate on my program James earlier in the week about how football capitalizes on this success and I know that you've already earmarked player development will be at the center of this so can you explain that
6: yeah, so, look, uh, player development is, is your foundation because the, the more better players you develop, the, the better, obviously, our domestic competitions, the A-Leagues, the Australia Cup, the NPLs are, um, and ultimately, the better the national teams are. But I think where we're different and where this new administration uh, distinguishes itself from from our former ones is we really believe that we are a local and global sport and really... We believe that's where our strength is. And in order to keep this level of interest, we really need to lever- leverage the global game. Um, we've obviously had a very successful World Cup campaign. That's fantastic. We know we've got the Women's World Cup that we're hosting in seven or eight months' time. Um, but we also need to fill the gaps like the international windows or the uh, the European summer with big national teams coming out to Australia to play our soccerers and big clubs as well Coming out uh, during the the, the the club season breaks to play um, on on our shores, we believe that bringing this global aspect, um, which our sport is set up perfectly for, to our local communities, is a way that we can really um, maintain that level of interest. And player development is is right at the centre of that. The more players that we're able to move on. Um, to the big global leagues from our uh, domestic competitions, the better it builds the profile and the brand of the sport, not just in Australia, but all around the world. And and that's what we think we need to do. And that's what we think the opportunity is for local football.
0: There was a recurring theme from a lot of my listeners and a lot of those involved in the game about how do we how do we capitalise on this success? How do we make football in Australia get bigger and better and just continue this role? And you know what it came back to? A lot of people were saying it's too expensive. We need to make it cheaper for the grassroots and kids coming through. Now, obviously, the structure of football has changed. Um, football Australia has its role. We've got the A-Leagues and um, their organisation on the other side. How much of a say and a role do you play in that part and how much do you think that needs to be focused on on the game overall?
6: Yeah, it is. It it, it is a challenge, but we really need to be specific here because I I feel like there's a general perception, um, but I'd like to be specific with how we answer that. Um, We are the biggest community sport, the biggest club sport in the country by a mile. Um, And in the most part, community football is, is very reasonably priced. The issue is, the challenge is, in a small but important part of our ecosystem, it's in the elite levels, it's the NPL level. And this is a challenge. And this is where you see the registration fees that are sometimes $2,000, um, and it's too high. But we, we, we need to be clear that this area, this problem is at the NPL level, not the general community level. Most community uh, clubs um, cost around two three. uh, per year, which is pretty um, competitive compared to other sports. The big fees are at the NPL levels. And what we need to do is we need to work collectively um, with our state federations. We need to work collectively with our NPL clubs um, about how we reduce those costs on one hand, but also where we can add value is, is looking at ways that we can create alternate pathways um, so that no uh, children um, have have barriers in, in front of them in the elite pathways, and that's something that we're looking at. Um, we are a new administration. It is on a, on our agenda, and in 2023, we'll be able uh, we'll be coming out with a plan of attack to reduce the cost of um, of elite football uh, in Australia and create new uh, pathways for those. Um, that, that um, could, 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 could move forward and, and, and perhaps the NPL is a barrier for.
0: So the dust is settling and the World Cup continues, but it sounds to me as though the, the job's only just beginning for you and your organisation. Before I let you go, when you reflect on the matches that Australia played, the ups and downs along the way, and of course that magical finish, albeit going down to Argentina in the round of 16, was there a moment for you as a fan that stood out in particular, that got your heart rate going?
6: Look, I, I, th- th- there were a number, <laughs> <laughs> I must say. Um, but I think uh, think about the... around about the time we scored uh, against Denmark was was the moment. Um, but it was only a moment, because around that same time, um, you, you know, Tunisia were leading 1-0 against France. And it was a very complicated... Uh, Time I had Timmy in my Timmy Cahill in my ear uh, briefing me about the result of the other game, Um, but we 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 were worried because we knew if we conceded a goal um, we wouldn't be going through because uh, Tunisia were beating France and you know who would ever have thought that was the case. So the moment for me was a lucky goal, but it it was only a moment (laughs) because the other match was being played contemporaneously. And I must say it was a very stressful second half of football um, for me.
0: And same, too, back here as well for so many thousands uh, around the country. It's been a great ride. I appreciate your time today, and I understand, you know, that you you need a bit of a breather, but obviously the work continues. Like I say, the hard work continues. Congratulations to your organisation and obviously to the Socceroos, and let's see what happens next uh, off the back of this fantastic performance. Thanks for your time, James. Thank you so
6: much. Thanks for having me on your show. Cheers.
0: Rightio, it's 27 and a half minutes after 10 in New South Wales, 27 and a half after nine, obviously, in Queensland. Matty, what about Jimmy getting the Erskine scoop? Uh, Great to see SEN front and centre in the news today, says Matt. Thank you for that. Yeah, great stuff. Great stuff from Jimmy yesterday. Matty says, the tool man, I'd rather talk about the price of eggs than talk about Dave Warner. Over it all, move on. Uh, Thank you for that, tool man. Thank you. However, um, it appears to me as though I'm just going to have to keep going through these texts and a lot of them still have D Warner in it and the situation. Good morning, beautiful people, says Dan. Really just think Cricket Australia is willing for Warner to fail and just push him out by next summer. He'll be next summer's Justin Langer story times 10 once the biography comes out. Gee, there's a lot of focus around a book, isn't there? A lot of focus around a book. Let me put it to you this way. If there had have been an open hearing for the application if there had been an open public hearing then a lot of information would have been forced to have been put out there would it not which means that you don't have a lot of information left to put into your book if that's the way they're going to go dan says also would like to thank yourself and tommy's variety of co-stars this year for putting on the show that you guys do the banter back and forth it's truly unique And makes great radio. Thank you. The amount of joy, laughs and smiles you bring day in, day out is awesome. And hope you guys have a happy and safe Christmas and look forward to the banter next year, says Dan. Thank you for that, Dan. Uh, Well, I'm back next week, so not wrapping it up just yet. I'm going to go the distance. My friend, P.S., what's your go-to Christmas meal? Gee, there's a question without notice. A lot is probably the easiest way to put it. I've got a big family, a very big family, and we're having a big family Christmas uh, this year so the go-to meal is everything that's on the table <laughs> I mean it everything 0457 736 uh, 736 is the text line to give me a buzz 01 1170 more of your texts, I'll do that after the news which is coming up now so quick news break from the SEN newsroom then I'll hook back into these text messages Tomorrow morning, nice and early, Croatia v. Brazil get the quarterfinals underway. Then it's Netherlands v. Argentina. So there you Saturday morning matches. And Morocco have Portugal first up Sunday morning, England v. France to follow that. So I checked the market this morning to see how much movement there'd been in uh, terms of overall cup winners. Brazil still favourite, $2.75. France, $5 at the moment. Five bucks for France to win the cup. Argentina, $6.50. England, fourth favourite at $7, equal with Portugal. And then it's the Netherlands at $15, or Netherlands at $15. And Croatia and Morocco at 36 bucks. Um, the outsiders of those eight left, the old gamba responsibly. Line needs to be applied there, but 2 bucks 75 for Brazil to win the Cup. And France at $5, second favourite. Do you agree with that? Uh, let me know. And how do you think these quarterfinals play out Can you give me a heads-up form guide into what I'm looking for across the weekend for the World Cup quarterfinals? Still be interested, no doubt about it, Uh, despite the fact that Australia are no longer there. And what did you make of James Johnson's comments there from Football Australia? I think they've got a really good handle on it. Uh, And I've said this repeatedly, not just because of the success that the Socceroos ended up having, but the way that they managed everything, managed their approach on the way in, Their approach when they were there and their approach on the way out. And now, obviously, there are still issues across the world of football, still plenty of issues, and I'm getting your texts in on that. And I'm not embedded into this world, so I take your opinion strongly on this one. Still plenty of issues facing football, but now's the moment. I mean, it might not be the golden generation, but this is the golden moment for the game in Australia to capitalise on. And I've got to say, the way that they've been handling themselves throughout this World Cup campaign shows to me that they're made of the right stuff to deliver. Now, we don't know how that's going to pan out. That's in the future. And then on Graham Arnold. So, as James said to me, we know he's off contract. We're not going to rush this decision. We will be speaking to Arnie and not speaking to any other candidates in the meantime. Is that a wise move, do you think? I mean, on the face of it, it appears to me as though it is. And it appears to me as though Arnie's their man. And like I said, well, does that mean that Arnie's got the job if he wants it? But so much will change. And you can imagine that Graham Arnold is enjoying a nice break, but surely his phone's ringing. Surely he's fielding some messages and some feelers from other organisations around the world, either at club level or international level, and surely he'd be entertaining them. I mean, I, I don't know. We're not there, but I'm just thinking that that's the way that it's surely playing out right now. So if you're Football Australia and you're parking the conversation till Arnie's ready to have it, or the time's right, are you missing out on other opportunities that may be coming up? I'm sure they've got a plan B. And I think that James was being honest and open when he said, we will speak to Arnie first and not any other candidates in the meantime, but I reckon just... Flat-out due diligence would say that you would have a plan B, C, D, E, etc. No question about that either. One 1170 Great interview with the CEO of football, but he's saying that registration's not expensive. AFL's one hundred and fifty, cricket's one hundred and twenty, football is two hundred plus. If you have two kids, no way I can pay that. Football at the junior level is expensive, says James. Well, let me know. I mean, just take me down into the grassroots level and let me know how much it costs. Uh, Are they the cold, hard figures there? Because James was at pains to point out that at the NPL level, that's where he's of the opinion that it really hurts and that $2,000 figure that kept popping up. And that was the recurring theme. That question that I posed to James Johnson there didn't come from me, it came from you. That's what you were telling me when we asked the question, how do you capitalise on football in Australia off the back of the soccer, roo's soccer success, you said to me, make it cheaper. And you heard that's what I said to James. So thank you for that uh, across the last couple of days. And that's how this one works. Two-way street here. Uh, Maurice from Golden Beach says, Matty, the whole drawn-out saga concerning Warner is simply an extension of Cricket Australia's way over-the-top penalty that was handed down at the time of the crime. If the penalty had been just two matches, say, which would have been in line with penalties imposed by other nations, the whole drama would have been put to bed. But the size of the penalty magnified the size of the offence. And then he repeats that. CA can take full responsibility for the horror show. It will soon find itself in. Shame, shame, shame on you, Cricket Australia. Says, is it Morris or Maurice from Golden Beach? But thank you for that. Well, the horror show that it will soon find itself in, I'll differ on that one, mate. I'll, I'll tell you, it's in. Forget about it, it's coming up. It's, it's here now. And it's blowing up Deluxe right now. And it's only going to go further. I think Malcolm Knox makes a really good point this morning in the Sydney Morning Herald. And it's off the back of the fact that here's Steve Smith, who can walk out yesterday with the blazer on and captain the Australian team. Which is fair enough, in my opinion. Absolutely fair enough. But he says this after Smith served his ban, he was permitted to move on. But because Warner's ban has no limit, there is no moving on. It's a really good point. Stewart says, My tip for the weekend Morocco to win over Portugal in a penalty shootout. Wouldn't that be something? Morocco to beat Portugal in a penalty shootout. Portugal, $7 to win the World Cup. Morocco, 36 bucks to go the distance. Wouldn't that be something? And what happens next with Cristiano Ronaldo? Uh, there you go. Thank you for that, Stu. Appreciate that. Australia will start today 3 for 330 on the second day at uh, Adelaide Oval. Manus Labashane, as we know, has just been a run-making machine this series. 204 and 104 not out in Perth. 120 not out yesterday. 428 runs in two test matches. Well, one and a half test matches so far. Make that one test match and one day of it. The second one. He's just been on the tear. Travis Head will be there at 114 not out, which he did at essentially a runner ball almost. But what does all this mean now for the future of Marnus Labashain? He's going to be there for a long, long time. He will more than likely be scoring these kind of runs. Well, perhaps not with this regularity against other opposition, but he's in a rare vein of form. What's his future when it comes to captaincy of the Australian team? Let's have a listen to Marnus after the day's play yesterday. I think i'm a leader in this in this team you know i don't need a captain or a vice captain symbol
3: next to my name to be a leader in 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 aspects of, of this game talking to people about batting helping the captain whoever it is out there if if they need an idea or anything really if we need to make sure we need to speed up for the overrate you know making sure i'm helping out where i can in terms of formal leadership i've been around this question many times before if that opportunity came and there was a formal leadership role for me At some stage down the track for any of the teams that I play for, it'd be great to learn and to grow in that
0: space more. But for me, it's just about playing cricket and enjoying it while I can. (laughs) He's doing both. He's playing a lot of cricket, a heck of a lot of cricket. I mean, he was at the crease for so long throughout the course of the five days in WA, you'd wonder whether or not they'd think about resting him, which (laughs) we're never going to do for Adelaide. But he's doing that and he's soaking up everything like a sponge. He's got that infectious energy that everyone wants in a in a sporting team. And here he is leading the way. And then take a look around him. There's Steve Smith, his bestie. I mean, obviously the captain of this test at the moment. There's his regular captain, Paddy Cummins, up in the commentary box, not too far away. He's got guys like David Warner there. He's got so much experience left, right and centre to lean on in terms of players and leaders One thing the Australian cricket team on the pitch is not sure of is leaders. No doubt about it. Now, as I mentioned, Paddy Cummins was up doing a stint in the Fox Sports commentary box. It was actually awesome because he had Gilly on one side and Brian Lara on the other. And he wasn't afraid to use the microphone to get some information out of the great Brian Lara. But obviously, that elephant in the room question had to come. Here's Paddy Cummins' response.
7: No, I haven't heard the you know the comments today, but you know I've chatted to David today, and he's great. Um, you know we really support David. He's a huge member of our side. He's been fantastic for me my whole career. You know this side is is been an awesome you know leader. For the, you know especially the last few years. So yeah, we just um, you know he has our absolute support. Um, really back him and um, yeah respect his decision.
0: Wonder what's going on in the dressing room at the moment. You just wonder, don't you? I, I think that they are all absolutely in support of David Warner. He's their teammate. And I said this to you yesterday when he made that statement, he made that statement wholly and solely on his own throughout his own social media platform. There was no press release on this, no stamp on the top of it that said Cricket Australia. It was him having his say. The difference there is that he's still a current member of the team. So that was always going to explode massively. Uh, Murray says, Matt, James Erskine is, for such a learned man, has done a massive disservice to David Warner. If the truth is the threat, he's four years too late. Hmm, don't think so. I'm not sure about that one because, yes, he's a learned man and he'll protect his client, and that's what he's been doing over probably the last four years. Protection, protection, protection. There was always going to be a moment when the doors would swing open and they'd come out. With both barrels. Well, those doors are open. They've been swung wide open. And here come the barrels. Here they come. 130001 01 1170. Eddie says, My son plays NPL under 13s, and the fees are $2,850 per season for under 13s. Thank you, Eddie. That's exactly what we discussed with James Johnson. The NPL level is a problem. They have to fix it. That's astronomical. Thank you for the text. Appreciate it. Back after this break. Uh, welcome back. Plenty of those texts on the line. Get to those in just a sec. Well, Gary says uh, he had no trouble with form. He's just got a lot better. Manus. Uh Yeah, he just continues to get it better and better, doesn't he? <laughs> the way that he's going. I mean, where does it end with the amount of, with the amount of runs? Uh, Jay from Blacktown, thank you for your text. I'll read through that and then uh, relay it to our listeners. But here's one, and we've assembled the forum again. So the roundtable forum. Gibbo, Tommy, if you had to pick a three-man cricket side, one bowler, one batter, one keeper, then those three that were in the commentary box last night, Cummins, Gilchrist, and Lara, wouldn't be too bad. That's not a bad shout. When you stack up those three and you go, right, I've only got a three-man side, I mean, Patty Cummins, Gilly, and then B Lara. That's a fair old outfit, which leads us then to the three-man side. Let's think about it. Gibbo, you love your cricket. Yeah. Which way would you go? You got you got one bowler, one batter, one keeper.
1: So I've gone a bit left field here. I've got red hair, obviously, Maddie and Tommy. Alan Donald, White Lightning, he's my bowler because he's got yep. a lot of pace and he'll hit the ground hard. Brendan McCallum, we've talked about Baz Attacking, he'll be our captain. Attacking cricketer because we're going to play a real up-tempo style. And our batter is probably one of my favorites, Kevin Peterson.
3: Oh. <laughs> So I I'm,
1: I'm not going traditional. There's no Aussies in there. And I'm going out, out, wide. But that's my three.
0: Okay. So you've gone Alan Donald, White Lightning, Brendan McCallum, B Mac, Baz, yeah, ball,
1: Baz Ball. and then KP. And KP. Yep.
0: We're
1: that's not going to not a
0: bad trio.
1: No, we're going to have a lot of box office. There's going to be some thrills, and of course there'll be some spills.
0: <laughs> Tommy, I'm going to go
3: with Bowler. Uh, the great SK Warren, Shane Keith mm-hmm. Warren, rest in peace. Batsman, I'm going to go with, I think, the best since Bradman. One, Steve, Peter, Devereaux, Smith, smudger. And for my keeper, now this is the tricky part. I could go on all trio of Aussies, but I don't want to pick Adam Gilchrist. So I'm gonna, actually going to go with uh, modern-day great A.B. De Villiers from South Africa. So I'm going to go bowler, Shane Warren, Batsman, Steve Smith, Gloveman, A.B. A.B.
1: can bowl a, as well.
3: He can bowl a little bit.
1: Taking a couple of wickets. And he,
3: can, and he can bat
0: very, very well. So can Steve Smith. Yes. So Steve Smith can bowl as well. So you've got Warney Smudge and A.B. De Villiers. Yep. I originally had Warney, but I, I want to go somewhere different now that you've gone the obvious choice. So I'm going to get Mitchell Johnson. Ooh. Yeah. I've got him coming in because I want some fear factor in my trio. My batter. Sir Isaac Vivian Alexander Richards. The great Viv Richards. Because I want some swagger and I want to see some balls going over the fence. Especially if we're playing it now with the bats and short boundaries that we've got. And my keeper, rock solid, can't get past him. Uh, button's undone. Hair on the chest, Rodney Marsh.
3: Fair.
0: That's Fair. a great lineup. Hey, uh... Uh, Fletch brought this up earlier in the week when they were interviewing
3: Nathan Lyons. So go have a listen if you missed it out. But why do we always bring up the, uh, the middle names with cricketers?
1: Oh, Joel will yeah. be very mad at you, Tommy, because Joel has been talking about this for so long. Oh, okay, there you go. And I just cared. saw the
3: middle names. I just saw the, the clip from Fletch that who brought it up when they, when you interviewed Gaz. But it's a thing with cricketers. I, I, I yeah. just said SK too, and Stephen Peter Devereaux-Smith. Yeah. I mean, I don't know the middle name for James Tedesco. I, I might, I sh- you know what, I'm going to learn it and I'm just going to say James, middle name, Tedesco for the whole 2023 season. See if it sticks with the,
0: any of our listeners. <laughs> well, I, look, it just goes back into the history books, I think. I think that's the short answer to it. You know, that that's exactly how they used to be uh, written down into the books. So I think that they used to just put the initials first and away they went and that carried through. If you actually go back... Um, not too far, if you go back into the old wide world of sports footage, you'll see on the old graphics of the teams that pop up that they had like SK Warn and SCG McGill. Mm. So they still used them, um, not too far back on the TV graphics. There you go. Uh, thank you for that to our listener who's thrown that one at us. Uh, no name on it, but we've got your text number, but it's a beauty of a conversation. So you've got to pick a three-man cricket side at the moment. Um, three person cricket side. Let's open it right up here. So, do we throw in, you know, an Elisa Healy here, Elise Perry into the mix, a Meg Lanning? I mean, go where do you it. where do you go? Yeah, one bowler, one batter, one keeper. Mm, not a bad discussion. Oh four five seven seven three six seven three six. It's Friday, Friday forum, but it's also Tommy's tribute. Day. So what are you looking for? Yeah, quickly before I go, Manny. So headlines for day two or just for the rest
3: of the test, for the rest of the weekend. How's Marnus going to go? How's Travis Head going to go? How's it going to pan out? Headlines, obviously, for the whole David Warner saga, if you want to set some headlines, that. And the FIFA World Cup
0: quarterfinals, send some headlines for those. Keep them coming. Back after this. Now, Gibbo, I just did a bit of digging in the ad break, right, as to why there are initials that come with cricket scorebooks and cricketers' names. It goes back to the gentleman's game and there used to be, until 1962 apparently, a distinction between amateurs who were called the gentlemen, and the professional who were called the players. So this distinction was noted with the amateurs having their initials go before their surnames and the professionals had their initials following their surnames. That was up until 1962 and then they just decided to put the initials first. So there you go. They've always been around, it seems, and it goes back to the gentleman's game that cricket used to be. Doesn't seem very gentlemanly at the moment. News is coming up. Now, Adam Peacock is here at SEN today, so we're going to tap into his knowledge around Football Australia and the cost of playing football, especially at junior level. Stick around. More to come for our final hour. Our conversation has quickly swung around to initials, middle names, and also your 3 person aside cricket team. Uh, This one from Chris Batsman. Gary Sobers, he can bowl a bit too. Bowler Dale stain and keeper Gilly. There's not a bad threesome right there. Barry Richards, and um, this one from Mark from Redbank. Mark Boucher, Abusha, sorry, and bowler Michael Holding on that. In middle names, let's use the middle names. Here's mine, says the Western Sydney Eagle. Western Sydney slash New South Wales Australia Eagle. Thank you for that. Uh, in terms of the initials, the Blue Emu says, English game full of Smiths and Joneses, hence they needed to use the initials. Well, I dug it a little bit deeper. You would have heard that. The initials go all the way back uh, to amateur slash professional, gentlemen slash players. Wiley Old Dogs, big three. King Viv, Dennis Lillian, throw the gloves to Jack uh, Callis because he's great. At everything. Thank you for that Oh four five seven seven three six seven three six. so off the back of my chat with James Johnson getting plenty of text messages in around the cost of football at grassroots level in the country. The global game of course tonight at 10.30 with Adam Peacock if you want your footy fixed, the fo- uh, podcast will be uh, out as well and the Moe's Club tomorrow morning so he's a busy man a peacock a slash middle name peacock. I don't know what it is mate. Uh, can you enlighten us? I've got two, David George. Yeah, David George.
7: Yeah,
0: ADG Peacock. Yeah,
7: ADGP. Yeah. Yep. So but are they two worse. middle names? Is it is it David slash George? Yeah, yeah. I, I don't know how I ended up with two, um, but that's how. Okay. The dad, uh, Dad's name David. Um, my grandfather's yeah. name George. So that's what I got thrown. At. It Must have been an argument that no one won. So I got both. <laughs> I reckon between <laughs> mum and dad. So that's how it uh, panned okay. out.
0: ADG Peacock. I'm uh, MD. Well, I'm MDW, but MDJW because I had the old confirmation name. I mean, that's uh, yeah, that's that's going over okay. weird territory there. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, mate, can you can you enlighten territory that is? Me? <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, you're right. We're keeping the license alive. That's what we're doing here. Can you enlighten me? I, I had a good chat there with James Johnson, and you may have heard bits and pieces of it. And I had a chat with our listeners over the last couple of days. And the recurring theme, which has been around football, like you've been around football a long time, is about cost. Yeah. Right? About how expensive it is to get kids
7: into the game. Can you summarise it for me? Uh, it's bloody expensive. Essentially, football in this country, unlike rugby league, cricket and AFL in particular, football is bottom-up funded, not top-down funded. So in Europe, for instance, with football, a lot of it is top-down funded because you've got all the money through TV rights and it filters eventually through like a big river system and you've got all the, the offshoot creeks and it, it filters through and feeds all the farms, waters all the farms. It doesn't happen here in Australia because there's no top-down funding because there's no big TVD uh, TV rights deal. There's no big commercial revenue. There's decent commercial revenue, and this is what Football Australia and, and James and his team are trying to do, is build that base. Um, government support has been f- hard to get and hard to clamour for. Eventually, that's creeping in. So what ends up happening is, for instance, at NPL youth level, elite youth, you're paying for 9 to 18-year-olds in between 15 to 2500 a year uh, fees. And then at your grassroots, you know, your Saturday morning... Um, Dad's coaching the team, type level. You're you're paying, I think, between three hundred and five hundred. I'm not totally across that because I'm my son's gone through the the NPL system. So, okay. So, when, it cost you did in the NPL system? Did
0: it yeah. cost it cost you between say fifteen hundred and twenty five hundred?
7: Yeah. So he's he's now in his tenth year there, and I've just paid his fees for this year. It's cost me. I, I did the figures. It's cost me twenty two grand, all up for putting through the youth system. What do you get for that? Uh, shoe hire and a Coke? No. Um, <laughs> Tell me you get a sausage sandwich at the end of it. The- <laughs> yeah, no. Well, what you do get is, I will say this, that you get 40 weeks of training, three times a week, a game, uh, 30 games. Now, the standard of coaching, that's another issue. That's by the way I'm purely saying yeah. what you're getting. Um, you break it down. I've got girls who are going through dancing. It's cheaper than that. It's cheaper than swimming lessons. But that's not what football historically is meant to be about it's meant to be a game for the people it's meant to be affordability is one thing but pricing people out of it is another i can i'm i'm fortunate enough that you know through work and and the job i have and and the work that i do i'm able to to absorb that that Mm. thing what i've got a real concern about in australia is kids from a um stage in life with their parents who are struggling to make ends meet that they have to walk away from the game or go and play at a lower level, which ain't going to help their football develop. And we're going to miss out on certain players coming through and making it to the top level because they can't afford the fees between the ages of nine and 18. That scares a life out of me in terms of football yeah. in Australia. And it's a,
0: you know, it's a hundred percent valid point. It's an absolute valid point. And, and the way that, you know, the cost of living's going as well, I mean, surely, surely the game's got to do something at looking at that in particular i mean there are other issues as you point mm. out but if that's the if that's the key one if that key 9 to 18 year segment is going to cost you upwards of $2000 a year and the squeeze is being put on us left right and center so what's what's the answer how, how do you if we take away where the funding comes from all that kind of stuff
7: what's the what's the fix yeah it, it's a hard one because we've been talking about this for 10 15 years um, what I mean you look at you break the cost down, Football Australia just takes a a tiny little nominal fee. I think it's like fourteen dollars per player. So the money's not going to Football Australia. Is it going to the state feds? Well, they take a certain portion to put on the competitions that these kids play in. There's ground hire, there's insurance, there's council fees, there's MPL clubs, you you pay for your gear, so you get the track suits, you get the full you know, and the full kit and everything, so you pay for that, that's in the costs. The the one the big unanswerable for me over the time is so, okay, sixteen kids in a team paying you know twenty five hundred, so the yep. coach is getting what between seven and ten grand at the club I was at. The assistant coach is getting between three and five grand per season. There's a lot of fat left on that. The big, unanswerable one is how much of those fees is going back into the club to pay the first grade players, you know your part time Footballer right. who's working as a plumber or whatever, like that. There's no professionals in this league, but they are getting paid. That's the big question. Where, how much of that money is going to those players? That's how it's structured at the moment. Does there need to be a change? I'm not sure. How can you tell those semi professional players, by the way, kids can't afford it now, you're not getting paid anymore? So, what happens to those first grade teams? So, you, yeah. you're in this kind of, and, and like I see, vortex. I see,
0: yeah, you're in a vicious circle because I see. What you're saying, because how do you say that to those semi-professional players? But then, how do you say that to parents? Hey, here's come and give us twenty five hundred bucks, and in the pot that you're giving us, you're essentially going to be we're going to be using your money Mm. to help pay the semi-professional players. So I get it. It, Where does sponsorship sit in? Just a quick one, because I know you got a bolt. Where does sponsorship sit in at that level? So, so what if you send your your young bloke over to a club Mm. and you want him to go through that system? And that club has the ability to go out and get a sponsor to cover the forty, fifty grand that you're gonna make from the sixteen kids at twenty five hundred bucks a pop.
7: Yeah, you you you're not exactly at the the top level of town, so it's a lot of local businesses and yeah, you, you don't have multinationals sponsoring these clubs. So that That is a difficult one, that there are some clubs who do it really well with sponsors. And there is one club in Sydney, if I'm not mistaken, Dunbar Rovers, there might be others that, that absorb the costs through sponsorships and they do really well commercially in attracting local businesses to make sure that that cost isn't passed on to the parents. So there are examples out there, but they're few and far between. And unfortunately... I don't know how, what the circuit breaker is, if there's a future fund that can be set up with all the money that's going to come into the game now commercially and government-wise, which a portion of it can go to helping struggling families pay for these. A lot of clubs do have situations where you can delay fees or, or they do go out and, and find um, sponsorships. But, um, yeah, it's a, it's a tough ask because, it's mm. as I said, it's just this one big cycle at the moment.
0: That $19 million that we got for making the round of 16, it'd help?
7: Just... Um, 40, I reckon 40% of that, around 40% of that goes straight to the players because of the PFA deal. Then yeah. they have the overheads of putting on the camp. So not, you know, everyone has their hand out in football. And that's the, the tough ask yeah. for Football Australia at the moment to try and find a way through all these problems. Because you're right, at the bottom, the base level of the bottom, the playing stocks, the youth playing stocks in this country, they're absorbing a lot of these costs. Mm.
0: Interesting, interesting debate. Good on you, mate. Thanks for explaining it all. You've got a little busy uh, run ahead of you. Global game tonight, Moa's Club tomorrow. Have a good one.
7: I'm here with my man Gibbo. We're going to have a yeah. meeting after this. Oh,
0: just have it now. I mean, just talk over the top of this. <laughs> yeah, go for your enough. life. All good. We have got to get. Thank you, thank you, ADG Peacock. Uh, we've got to get to Chris Nelson and get our uh, racing tips in just a sec. Just a very quick one from you, Greg, from San Susie. If you can fire up quickly, mate, go for it on the open line because I do have to get to Chrissy Nelson. Go for it quick. Yeah, just
4: a quick one. Uh, Our biggest problem is we've got guys playing what is essentially park football and being paid for it at the lower level of NPL. So that's NPL 3, NPL 4. Abandon that and it becomes a lot easier to to navigate.
0: All right, so just not as easy as saying NPL as a blanket sort of term or a blanket level there's lower levels to look at as well I, I knew you'd have an opinion on that mate and i knew you'd have a thought for us and i appreciate it sorry that we've got a rush but uh that's the way it is on this friday morning thank you greg and have a good weekend One three hundred let's get to chris nelson as sen track analyst and get some top tips for the racing he's holding on right now good morning chris Good morning to you, Matty. You're going to get us off to a winning start today. Normally, we look ahead to the weekend, but they're racing at Doomben today. So let's start there, mate. Can you find us a winner in in race six and race seven?
8: I think I can. And look, this is a bit of a Christmas party meeting. I think there's a few of these around Australia today. So it's a good day of racing, not only tomorrow, but also today. Now, Doomben, we did get a few storms go through in the last couple of days. We were on a heavy eight. We've got back to a soft seven. I think we'll probably go around on something like a soft six. Race six, number three, Zennifer, really appeals. So she's a very, very good mare. She's only had the one run back, and that was at Sunshine Coast in the Maloola Bar Cup. She wasn't far away there. She drops in grade. She's nicely weighted. She maps beautifully. She'll get a good run, and she likes that cut in the ground, and she's got a good second up record. So there's plenty of ticks there for Zennifer today. Last time I checked, she was around the $5 mark, so that's pretty good odds. So race six, number three, Zennifer, I think can win second up this afternoon.
0: Beauty. Then race seven, uh, a class three handicap over 1,200. Yeah, Barry Lockwood's a trainer up
8: here, Matty, that's been having a great run of late. Uh, His strike rate's terrific. Now, he's got number nine, Deep Rouge, in here. Uh, She was very good winning first up at Eagle Farm off a bad injury. And then second up, she was unlucky. She missed the start. She just gave away too much start. But then she ran on quite well without looking winning chance. He's freshened her up. I think she'll bounce back today. She, too, likes a bit of give in the ground. I think she's just better than these, and I think she'll be winning, as I said. Race seven, number
2: nine, Deep Rouge.
0: Okay, so today we've got race six, number three, Zennifer, and race seven, number nine, Deep Rouge at Doombin. So let's look ahead for the weekend. We'll start at Eagle Farm here. Uh, what have we got? Race seven. Let's start with race seven out of nine on the card.
8: Yeah, really good days racing at uh, Eagle Farm. The track will be dry, and uh, there'll be plenty of... Plenty of good competitive events. Uh, race 7, number 2, shooting for gold. Now, a gelding from the O'Day Hoisted Stable at Eagle Farm. He raced really well at Melbourne, in, in Melbourne. It's the uh, early part of the spring carnival. He won at Caulfield over uh, 1,100 metres. He was never disgraced in any of those runs. He had three runs down south. Freshened up. He trialled at Deegan recently. He went to the front in that trial. Don't expect that tomorrow. It'll probably be about three pairs back on the fence. But he just trotted in. And he's a very good horse, fresh uh, he's got a good uh, record on all types of going, so it wouldn't matter what it was at Eagle Farm, although, as I said, I think it'll be good. I think he can bounce back back to Brisbane with a win, race seven, number two, shooting for gold.
0: What about the next, the Gateway?
8: Yeah, and this is a really important race, Matty. The winner of this race gets a free entry, or a golden ticket, as we call it, into next year's $3 million Group 1 Stradbroke. So this will be competitive. Uh, Mimi Lagarde, number eight, she needs good ground. She finally got back on the good ground at the Gold Coast last start, and she was too strong for them late at the end of 1,200 metres. Up she goes to 1,400 metres. There's good speed in this race. She'll settle back in the second half. But the long run home at Eagle Farm, she's going to get to the outside, and I think she can mow them down again. I just think she's got too much show on these class-wise. Race 8, number 8, Mimi Lagarde.
0: Okay, we've been on Mimi Lagarde before, haven't we? So race eight, we number have. eight, and a big one, yeah, at Eagle Farm. Like you say, the golden ticket on the line there. Uh, weather should be pretty good for us at Randwick, so looking for a, a nice track there. I think around a soft five at the moment. Race seven at Royal Randwick. Yeah, number four here,
8: Waihaha Falls. Uh, we'll be favourite, but not exactly cramped dogs, anything like that. I think still value at the moment. Waihaha Falls. Always had a bit of a rap on him. He's had 11 starts for four wins and a couple of placings. Uh, He ran second last time we saw him at Newcastle. That was around a month ago. That was in a benchmark 88. He carried 61.5 kilos that day. Did a terrific job. Uh, He was... uh, Look, there was a lot of people that thought he should have gone around in the Hunter that day. And if he had, he would have given that race a definite shake. Prior to that, he ran fourth in the Sydney Stakes, the weight for age race, group three race. Uh, behind a rocketing buy, and there were some nice types in that particular race. He looks beautifully placed, I thought, tomorrow. So I think he's the the one bet I'll be having at Randwick. Race seven, number four, Waihaha Falls.
0: Just the one bet. All right, mate, what about on the coast?
8: Yeah, just a quick one. Uh, On Sunday, for those that like to have a bet on Sunday, Sunshine Coast, race one, number six, excuse me... Kelly Schwede trained. She's caught my eye three back at the Gold Coast running on. Last two starts, nothing has gone right. She gets a weak race on Sunday and she gets out to 1,600 metres. I think she can break through. Race one, number six, excuse me.
0: Nice work. So we've got you covered from today across tomorrow, from Eagle Farm to Randwick tomorrow (laughs) into the sunny coast on Sunday. So you can just keep on punching until you find yourself a winner. Good on you, Chris. Have a great weekend. You too, Matty. All the best. A huge day ahead on the SEN network. Of course, day two of coverage from Adelaide Oval, Australia v. West Indies, where the Aussies will resume in that run search. Not a chase. It's a search for more runs. Manus Labashane and Travis Head there. Three for 330 is where they'll start. So here's the rundown for you. When we finish up in 35 minutes' time, uh, Jimmy Smith, Simon O'Donnell will have the sporting flame for you for an hour. Then we'll switch over to our commentary team headed up by Jared Waitley and co at the Adelaide Oval for day two of coverage and a special interview with Nick Hockley, the CEO of Cricket Australia and Todd Greenberg as well will be in the commentary box to be grilled, I guess by Jared. So Nick Hockley and Todd Greenberg who's the boss of the Australian Cricketers Association. So SEN's the place where you need to be for the rest of the day and then of course ball by ball coverage of the second day's play right throughout the test. It's a ripping coverage, that one. Now, Gibbo, I just want to throw this one at you. Um, you know the old saying, don't you know who I am? Now, it gets thrown around a lot by celebrities who want to get in somewhere. And it's normally viewed as A-grade plus, right? Yeah. If you throw that one out. Agree?
1: I absolutely agree. Iguana Joes, right? Was that one of them?
0: <laughs> yep. Yeah. Okay. So you're ready for this. Is this a... Is this a A fair case to say, don't you know who I am? Have you heard about what Roger Federer's got up to recently? I haven't. He was over in the UK. He was in London. He had a couple of hours to kill after a doctor's appointment. So he said to his entourage, why don't we go and have some tea at Wimbledon? Because he said, we haven't been to Wimbledon when the tournament's not on. Never actually been there without playing there. So he goes up to the gate where the guests normally come in. And he says to his mob, "I'll, I'll go out and speak to the security lady. He gets there and says, G'day, how do I get in? She says, do you have a membership card? He's thinking, well, when you win, you automatically become a member, but doesn't know where his membership card is, probably at home. He says, no, I don't have my membership card, but I am a member. I'm just wondering where I can get in. And she's obviously saying, well, no, don't have a card, don't get in. He says, I'm normally a member when I'm here because I'm playing. And now it's the first time that the tournament is not on, but I'm here. And then he said, I looked at her in a panic. He said this on Trevor Noah's uh, program and said, look, I'm sorry, but I've won this tournament eight times. Please believe me. I'm a member. And she goes, no dice. (laughs) (laughs) Then he goes around to the other side and instantly is recognized by a security guard who says, oh my God, do you have your membership card? You're Roger Federer. He says, no, I don't. But the security guard Let him in anyway and organised it all. He had lunch with the chairman for an hour or so, and he said, I thought about going over on the way out and giving the other security guard a bit of a wave, but I didn't do it. Would that fall into the category? We're talking Roger Federer, quite possibly never known for having a big head at all on any front whatsoever. Don't you reckon that he could have slipped in a don't-you-know-who-I-am-there? Would that have been fair call?
1: Yeah, I think so. When you're the goat of tennis, he could easily have gone into his Google, just punched in Roger Federer, (laughs) and he could have done that, some (laughs) sort of identification. I do like the security guard, though, because, you know, the rules are rules for everyone. So she was just doing her job.
0: Yeah, correct. No dice. I mean, when I saw that he'd been to the doctor's appointment beforehand or something, I thought it reminded me of that Kramer um, that Kramer scene when he'd been to the dentist. So I'm imagining if he had been to the dentist, then there was a plausible excuse because maybe he had the you know had the drool going. Yeah. But Roger Federer is Roger Federer, don't you think? I mean, normally oh, at security guard gates they have photos of those who aren't allowed in. Yep. You know, stalkers, etc. <laughs> Perhaps they should have a a couple of photos of those that have won it, say. Eight times.
1: What, what about you, Maddie? I know you're a you're a big man in the media game. Have you ever used? Don't you know who I am? And you be honest. This is the you, morning show. Honesty's no. here.
0: No, do you reckon? A, do you reckon I'd use it? And B, do you reckon it'd work anyway? Well,
1: <laughs> back on those sports tonight days, I reckon for sure.
0: Oh, hang on a second. You know the one thing that the one thing I will say about that is that for a bloke who spent his life going to these big media events and loving the fact that I get access all areas, I hate lanyards. Yeah, I, don't know, I don't know. I just hate wearing lanyards and I hate wearing name tickets and name tags and all that kind of stuff. So it used to do my brain in that I'd have to wear them, but you got to wear them. I tell you the hardest one to get in and out of, doesn't matter who you are, Formula One.
1: Yes, okay. Man,
0: they they know your every move. They know when you came in and when you went out. And if you don't do it right, you don't get in and you don't get out. It's, it's one of the two. So I reckon Roger Federer had a, a plausible case there, even though he wouldn't have done it and we wouldn't back it. But had he dropped the old, don't you know who I am, which he kind of did in a way. I mean, eight, eight titles I've won here. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Look at the scoreboard lady. <laughs> he did the wise thing. Uh, oh four five seven seven three six seven three six. Mickey's got his three-man cricket team: Gilly, the keeper; Alan Border, the batsman; and Wasim Akram, the bowler. Here's the news: the uh, text line, in fact, via our Twitter feed uh, at Matty White S E N from the Shadow mate, wishing you a merry Christmas and a prosperous 2023. Thank you for that. Shadow still got a week to go. Uh, Be back here in action next week. So we'll wrap it all up for you next week and then we'll finish it all off. But, yeah, still a full week of the morning show to come. Um, Should we try and make it a Davy Warner free zone? It's not going to happen. We tried that the other day and it worked for about 10 minutes. Uh, On that, Greg says, if Davy really wants to protect his family privacy and health, surely releasing a book and doing the inevitable publicity tour that will go with it will be counterintuitive. One way to look at it um, for sure. Ah uh, this one did anyone do this uh Tommy Gibbo, did you see this Aussie golfer Mark Leishman in the crowd at the Adelaide Oval when Travis got his century.
1: yeah, he was um, the leash so I think he's he must be from South Australia, but he was in the crowd and he was going nuts had a few beers. It would have been a great night last night at the Adelaide Oval Maddie.
0: Oh well, he's got his own beer, doesn't he? The does leash he? has got his yeah he does he he breeds his oh it breeds he <laughs> brews <bruise>. hopefully not. <laughs> 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 yeah, he brews his own beer over there in the States um, with a couple of mates. I'm pretty sure that's right. 0457 736, 736. Uh, Matty Warner should be dropped. CA board to be replaced. Both parties are now ruining a great band that brand that's already taken a hammering. Both camps ignoring the people that matter. The Aussie public, says Mickey from Mascot. Well, I've put you guys in the frame over and over and over again. And I agree with you in parts on that, um, Mickey, because you're right. They are ignoring the Aussie public and the Aussie public is now ignoring them at that level. Good to see more than 20,000 at uh, the Adelaide Oval last night. But the numbers over there in Perth were shocking. And that's what's happening. It's becoming a two-way street. The great brand has taken a hammering, no doubt about it. And Cricket Australia's got to stop listening and outsourcing and start, um, you know, listening to PR executives and outsourcing leadership responsibilities and decisions and start making decisions based on what you, the punter, the listener, the supporter, the fan, the investor of the game, the players want to hear and want to see. I don't know about what happens to the Cricket Australia board or the Cricket Australia chief executive at the moment because most of these problems happened back in 2018 and what happened thereafter. And there's been a clean out ever since. However, if they ain't taking the lessons that are being thrown in front of them right now about making tough decisions themselves, then perhaps it's time to move on. Perhaps that's what's needed because take a look at what's been going on. They offered Justin Langer a contract that he was never going to take instead of just saying, mate, you're gone. They got Tim Payne in and a PR bloke to sit there and tell him essentially that he had to resign as captain instead of saying to him, you're gone as captain. They've dilly-dallied all the way along with the David Warner situation to the point where they got an independent party, independent committee to come along and tell them what they were going to do, which was just mind-boggling. Open the door to have all this going on. So they just continue to make these mistakes because they won't make tough decisions. So if they're not going to learn from those lessons, then it is time for another clean out and start again. Hopefully the uh, game continues to roll on at the level that it needs to. Oh, dear. That one's going to keep on going for a while yet. Can't wait for the game to get back underway a little later on this afternoon. Now, Tommy, what would you like to discuss Uh, At this juncture of the show, I want to chat NRL, Matty, in December
3: because there's no better time than December to start talking about the NRL and contract figures and what players should be paid and whatnot and blah, blah, blah. But the great Phil Gus Gould has weighed into the rumor mongering, linking him or linking the Bulldogs to Parramatta Eels halfback Mitchell Moses. Of course, he's off contract, so he's free to negotiate with other clubs. And it kind of adds a lot of interest because Dylan Brown is also off contract. So in a text message that Phil Gould wrote to the Daily Telegraph, Phil Gould said, and I quote, To put things simply, I'm not going to be confirming or denying rumour after rumour about player signings. It's ridiculous. This is the interesting part here. We don't actively look to recruit players from other clubs. If a player makes a decision he wants to leave his club or that decision has been made for him by his club – The manager or player usually contacts us and we proceed from there. That's been the case with every player I have recruited to the Bulldogs. In this case, neither the player nor his manager has indicated that Mitchell is looking outside Parramatta for his next playing contract. If Mitchell decides for whatever reason he'd like a change of clubs, then I hope the Bulldogs are a club he would consider. So interesting there from Gus. Now, one point he says, if a player makes the decision, sorry, we don't actively look to recruit players from other clubs. Okay, so Viliami Kikau, Reid Marnie, Tavita Pengai Jr., Matt Burden. Matty, were they Bulldogs Jr.? I know Reid Marnie actually was a Bulldogs Jr., but did they not play their their past footy with some other clubs before? I don't guess. I, I, I know Gus is trying to say Bulldogs were a benchmark for junior football and blah, 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 mm. but let's not. Saying you're a recruiting club is not a bad thing. Saying you're a good recruiting club is actually a sign of success. It's a sign of that. All right, I want to go to your
0: organisation. I want to go to your club. I want to play. Hey, look, if you're recruiting players, you're looking at other clubs. Where else are you looking? That's, what, mean, I'm, that's what I'm saying. There isn't a big field that sits in the middle of Sydney with a whole stack of players that are just running around waiting to be waiting to be recruited and start playing in the NRL. It's it's the same in business. I mean, in our business, you're going to look across the road. It's as simple as that. So. I think that one's pretty straightforward. It's a two part I mean, par- are, they, are they interested in Mitchell
3: Moses or not? That's the thing. And this is a two part conversation. So we can speak about that, but then we can also speak about all right, Mitchell Moses and his worth on the on the open market. And guess what, Maddie? My prediction is looking a little bit safe because it's now December 9th and we still do not have a figure for the salary cap for the 2023 season. And I I think I predicted what 3 weeks ago that that won't be confirmed until 2023. Um, And seriously, the NRL and the RLPA need to get their act together. But anyway, Mitchell Moses, is he or isn't he worth $1 million? Well, you're worth as much as a club is willing to pay you. But I wanted to discuss where Mitchell Moses fits in the halfback hierarchy, if you will, within the NRL. So the, the other day I did my top five players 20 years or younger. A couple of weeks ago I did my top five forward packs heading into the 2023 season. So what I wanted to do is do my top eight halfbacks heading into the 2023 NRL season. And where does Mitchell Moses fit in there? And that way we can kind of decide, all right, how much should he or shouldn't he get paid? So I go from eight to one. And I go through pretty pretty quickly. Uh, number eight, Sam Walker. Still 20 years of age, young kid. Has proved a bit, but hasn't proved a lot yet. So that's why he's eighth. Uh, number seven, Chad Townsend. There was a lot of fear when he signed that big money deal to the North Queensland Cowboys, but I think he's... So far, he's proven his contract worth, and he had a great combination with Tom Dearden, was an integral part to their side going to the uh, prelim finals. Number six, the reigning Dalian medalist, Nico Hines for the Cronulla Sharks, had a great inaugural season uh, for them. Number five, and this man has been in the news just this morning, uh, Adam Reynolds. Now, the reason he's number five is he's getting older, and his body is starting to wear a bit thin on him. That was a key reason why the Rabbitohs weren't going to offer him um, a deal longer than one season. Um, Kevin Walters confirmed on Pattern Heels this morning on SENQ that uh, he's had an ankle injury. Rumors it may be a syndesmosis. That it, it's very, very worrying considering Payne Haas also went down yesterday. Now, this is where it get interesting. Number four, I have Mitchell Moses as my fourth best halfback in the NRL right now. Number three mm-hmm. is a guy that I know you're a big, big fan of, Jerome Hughes. Number two, Manly Seagulls, halfback Daly Cherry Evans, and of course, number one is Nathan Cleary. Now, number two and number one and two, Nathan Cleary in DCA, it's reported by a lot of different publications and sources that they are earning well over a million dollars. I think Jerome Hughes is in the ballpark between $800,000 and $900,000. So, and I think Adam Reynolds, who's fifth, is eight hundred. So if Mitchell Moses is right in the middle there, would you say he's worth a million
0: dollars? He's there or thereabouts. And he's, pr- and he's worth a million dollars if he's being hunted, put it that way. Do you think
3: Mitchell Moses can be a premiership winning halfback on the team?
0: Well, they got to the grand final last year, didn't they? Well, they, this year, they This did. year, sorry. They did, they did. This but year. Yeah.
3: They, they just came across or came against a great Penrith <laughs> yeah. side. Gibbo, what do you think in all this? Uh,
1: ben Hunt. No Ben Hunt in your list.
3: That's a great point, no, that's a point. I completely blanked on him. I'm so oh, sorry. I completely okay. blanked point. on him. You know why? Because his team stinks. That's why. So apologies <laughs> to Ben Hunt and the Dragons fans. He would be... He would be top three, so he'd be he'd be third, Jerome Hughes would be fourth, and Mitchell Moses would be fifth. Oh, Ben Harding. So yeah. apologies there.
1: Tremendous player. He showed his versatility and origin coming off the bench. But I really like the look of Jerome Hughes. I'm not sure whether or not yet he's at that sort of million-dollar price range. Yep. The Stormer got Pappenhausen, Munster, Harry Grant. They've got a lot of money tied up in those guys. But he just showed how vital he was to that spine. Yeah. Jerome Hughes this year. Unfortunately for him, he copped a few injuries to that hammy at the back end of the year and sort of faulted his World Cup campaign. But look, besides Ben Hunt, that's a pretty good list. Sam Walker at number eight—is there a bit of bit of Roosters bias? Well, you, okay, there?
3: Well, I think eight's pretty fair. You look at the other halfbacks at some of the other clubs. Jamal yep. Fogarty, Bulldogs don't have a have Flanagan. a halfback. Flanagan, Titans. Kieran Foran's going to play their six. Newcastle Knights is Adam Yeah, I think most people, non-Roosters fans, would agree Walker's probably a better player and a better prospect.
1: Uh, What do you reckon bang for buck in your list? You're talking about million-dollar players. Kieran Foran?
3: Kieran Foran. Sam
1: Walker wouldn't be on a huge deal with the Roosters. He probably
3: would have got an increase with that two-year extension. I think you're looking for bang for buck right now. I think it's Nico Hines. He would have signed that deal around 600 k reportedly with the Cronulla Sharks. He just won the Dalian medal, so his value's already gone higher. Um, Adam Reynolds, again, aging player. Same with Daley Cherry Evans. Same with Ben Hunt. So I think if you're looking for value for money. But the interesting thing is, Matty, go back to the Parramatta Eagles, Mitchell Moses. Can they keep him and Dylan Brown at the club? That's the important thing that the Parramatta Eagles front office have got to look at moving forward. Because if they lose one, I mean, a lot of people are already saying their premiership window is shut already with Reed Marnie gone. Isaiah a Maybe it's a little bit open. If they
0: lose one of the two, it's It's definitely closed. Mm. All right. Now, we need some headlines for Tommy's Tribune coming up. Uh, This texter on whether or not the old don't-you-know-who-I-am line should have been rolled out says, absolutely, the Fed should have dropped it on her. It's not a nightclub or a restaurant. It's Wimbledon, and he is the GOAT. (laughs) Not a bad shout. Back after this, 0457 736 736. Headlines for Tommy's Tribune.
7: Independent, trustworthy, and dazzling.
6: Time now for Tommy's Tribune.
0: Three six seven three six. Is it Gibbo? Have you ever done a, a crack at headlines when you've been in the chair?
1: I, I haven't, but um, mm. I think I think I've got a good one here. How? Oh. Um, what sort of classification rating are we going <sighs> here, boys?
0: Wherever you want to go, because remember you've got in char- You're the man in charge of the button that can get us out of trouble if it uh, strikes the wrong chord.
1: Oh, see that's strange, Matty, because in the uh, on the drive show that that button doesn't seem to work. But I've got one <laughs> here for you guys and your <laughs> listeners. I'm a bit of a fan of the UFC now. There's a rising star, Paddy Pimbley. He's like he's like this Englishman. He's got a great accent. He's fighting this weekend at UFC 282. Paddy the Baddie becomes Jared Gordon's Daddy.
3: I love it. That's a tick. You want to yeah. give yourself a tick oh, there? A tick. Okay, hold on.
0: Yeah, hang on. Gizzy. There we go. There bang. you go. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Gee, you came out swinging nicely there. Tommy, now, what have you got? You've got okay. I've headlines got coming in, so listeners, keep them coming in. Uh, and then after Tommy gives his, we'll pass judgment on them, and he can pass judgment on yours. Okay. I've That's got, how it works. I've got, I've got three. So my first one's about
3: the whole David Warner thing. So it's a warning shot for Australian cricket. Do you like it, Matty? A warning shot for Australian cricket. You don't like it? okay? Yeah, there we go. Okay. Uh, My second one, again with the cricket. Double trouble for the Windies. I'm tipping Travis Head and Marnus Labashang both to get double centuries, uh, double
0: hundreds. I think that'll happen. Double trouble for the Windies. I didn't mind the warning shot. Yeah. I just think that. The shots already been taken. Yep. It needs to be something like full blind.
3: Fair enough. And I've just got one Atomic. headline. I've got one headline for the FIFA World Cup uh, quarterfinals: Rockin' Ronaldo. So I do think Ooh. he's going to start again from the bench, but I think he's going to come on. And Matty, will he score a brace? Should we <laughs> say? No, I think he'll just, no, He'll score. He'll just kick one goal. He'll get one goal. So Rockin' Ronaldo, he'll get one goal well, against Morocco.
0: What's the term? What What is the sporting soccer sporting term slash football sporting term for just one goal?
3: Just a just a goal. I think you just
0: say... Hey, do you, I mean, hey, do, you, do you say, hey, I, I scored a single? I scored a one Yeah, scored a one There you go. That makes sense, yeah. a one-er. Have you ever used the term brace in, in general conversation, Gibbo?
1: I uh, only when talking about my figures at the Harboard Bowling Club. Uh, <laughs> yeah, brace, quite a few braces, but nah, not very often, though, unfortunately. Matty, how about yeah. yourself?
0: Nah, uh, nah. And I've never scored two goals, so can't... Can't roll that in. Yeah, I actually scored uh, two tries in touch footy the other day, so I had a brace of tries. Did you? Yeah, I
3: did. were they two on ones or how had you? Few <laughs> one, steps. one was an intercept. Were they braces on singles? The first one, the first one was an intercept. The second was a little show and go. Show and go. I, I, yeah. oi Luke Heary style, short side. Uh, Jonathan Thurston. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah no worries. Yeah. Who was your Gavin Fair Cooper? <laughs> uh, I didn't have one. It was just a one man show, really. No, I'm okay. kidding. I'm oh. kidding. Should we go through these headlines quickly, Matty?
0: Right, here we go. You can read them out.
3: Go okay, Morris minor role for the Aussies. Lance Morris. Okay, he'll be carrying the drinks. Uh, that's a oh. that's a cross. I don't really like that, Brett. Oh, I yeah.
0: okay. oh. I didn't mind it, Brett. Now this I is Kev from Camden's always good with the alliteration. Wimpy. So you know why he did the Morris minor? It's it's a car. Yeah, I get it, but yeah. uh, sorry, okay. Brett.
3: Sorry. Uh next one, Kev from Camden, and he's usually really uh really good, Brett. Uh Wimpy wonders out weighted warning War- warning Warner waning waning Warner see that it it's me I give it a tick because you made me look <laughs> w- Wimpy Wonders outweighted waning yeah. Warner made me look silly there Kev so you get a tick <laughs> Uh next one Aussie's cruise but it's a bit of a snooze Warner hits the booze from oh. the Chuckman um, what do you think, Matty? I'm a bit torn on that
0: one. I, I like it until the last bit. Yeah. I don't think, I don't know. I think we've we'll just it a sort tick. of gone a little bit too far. Uh, but give it a tick. One, cruise, but it's a bit of a snooze. One final enough.
3: headline from Juan the Eagle for the World Cup. Messy exit for the Argies as the Dutch makes De for their mistakes. So that's Marcus <laughs> DePay. That's
0: the best one of the day, Juan the Eagle. There you go. Yeah. A messy exit for the Argies. Nice work, everybody. We need to take a break. We'll wrap it all up on the other side. Keep it locked in on SEN across the network, of course, and uh, wherever you go, take your phone with you. Make sure you've got the app because you can listen in for the rest of the day. The Sporting Flame with Jimmy Smith and Simon O'Donnell coming up and then straight after that. uh, So an hour of The Sporting Flame, then we go into day two coverage. Nick Hockley will be in with Jared Waitley and so too will Todd Greenberg. I'm just going to have one final text on this you got to laugh at all the listeners, says this texter, saying they've had enough of this saga. Now imagine being Dave Warner, who the same listeners have turned on when it now appears he was incorrectly labelled as the instigator of the whole sorry saga. If you've had enough listening about it, put yourself in his shoes. Ask yourself in if he and his family have had enough for being labelled something that he just might not be. There you go, that's the final say on that and that is our final word for this Friday and therefore the week will be back again to do it all again next week. Have a great weekend, everybody. See you on Monday.